Uh, welcome to the online ministry of the sermons at Coastal Community Church, and we are so grateful you took time to, to watch this sermon. One of the things that uh, we have a deep conviction of here at Coastal Community Church is that this online sermon that you're downloading or streaming is, is, a, is a supplement to your spiritual growth, and we, we think it's real important that you're a part of a local church. So uh, even as you watch this sermon, and I hope it encourages you and challenges you, uh, I hope that you'll find a local church. Uh, if you live in the Hampton Roads area, I hope that you'll consider checking out Coastal Community Church. We have three services on Sunday morning, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And uh, so we'd love for you, for you to join us at one of those services. I do want to introduce our new sermon series uh, that we're doing. We're taking some time going through First Timothy. We entitled the series Guarding the Gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentors a young pastor, Timothy, uh, and he t- talks to him about how to establish a church so that the gospel of Christ can be guarded in a sense that it's pure uh, and kept true and so that it can be um, brought to a lost and dying world. So I hope you'll enjoy this series through Timothy, Guarding the Gospel. Good morning, Coastal Church, Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys are enjoying the extra day this week. Um, Thank you for attending and worship and corporate worship to our Lord. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible this morning, get it out. Uh, We're going to jump in. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. We're uh, bringing a series called Guarding the Gospel to its Conclusion. Uh, This week and next will be our last two weeks, okay? And then we're going to transition into a new series that we are going to encourage you to be a part of a small group. Uh, Twice a year, we really, really try to push small groups because we think it's an intimate part of your discipleship and following with Jesus. We want you to be in community together with other believers. Uh, So we'll be doing a new series called Strength and Courage, and uh, it's going to be a great series as we kind of look at the book of Joshua uh, and unpack some of the stories there. And so there's a Bible and a chair in front of you if you didn't have one, uh, 1 Timothy 6. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Uh, while you're doing that, and when there's a note, there's a, you can follow along a note sheet in the, in the bulletin, follow along with me. While we're doing that, I want to uh, just take a moment here this morning. Uh, it's uh, also, I always think, and when I remember when I was a student in high school, middle school, I always kind of hated Labor Day because I was like, man, school starts this week. Uh, and so for probably most of our students, school starts this week. So. So if that's a, uh, news to you, I'm sorry to be the bearer of sad tidings. That's my pessimism coming out. Uh, but I want to do this. I always like to start the school year with a, with a moment of prayer. And, uh, and so if you're here this morning and you're a teacher, uh, uh, whether that be homeschool teacher, uh, private school teacher, or public school teacher, would you do me a favor? Or administrator. You're an administration in, in our school system at some level. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand? And we want to applaud you. And then we're going to pray over you. So would you, my teacher, stand. All right. Great job. <clears throat> and, uh, man, it's a... Stay standing, okay? It's a high calling to invest in our students uh, at any level, okay? And uh, so thank you for administrating or teaching. And so, uh, church, do me a favor. Let's bow our heads, okay? And we know, man, schools have become a place where there's violence at times. We want to pray protection around our, our city and our peninsula. And, uh, and thank God for these teachers that are standing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is incredible that we get to enter your presence And like Pastor Joey just prayed, you're not a God that kind of wound up the clock and let it do its own thing. You're intimately involved with us. You care. And so we enter your presence in the name of our high priest, Jesus Christ. 
And we enter humbly clothed in his righteousness, and we come with some prayer requests, God. We pray for our schools, and this is kind of the time in, in our little world that the, uh, the school system kind of kicks off. And, and God, I want to pray for these teachers or these administrators that are standing right now, Lord, as they invest in their students. Some, some of their students are their own children. Some are uh, private school, and some are, are public school. And God, I thank you for these teachers, God, and, and they bear the burden of education and educating our children. I pray, God, that this year uh, their teaching would be a joy. I pray, God, that their teaching would have the idea of eternal impact, that not only would they be teaching facts and teaching educationally, God, but they would be looking for an opportunity to impact their students with wisdom uh, and even relationally have opportunities to point them uh, to their Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for our administration and, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as they make uh, decisions oftentimes that impact hundreds and even thousands of students, God. I pray that you'd give them wisdom that comes from on high. Lord, we pray for our schools. We pray for protection, Lord. We pray, Lord, that uh, there would be a sense of your spirit that permeates these school systems, God. Student to student, there'd be protection, God. We pray for uh, protection from any kind of violence in our school systems, Lord, that this year, uh, you know, we look back last year, you did protect us. We ask for the same thing, God, that there would be a sense and a, and a supernatural protection around our education system, God, so that it can be a safe environment where our students can be educated. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in ways that the school administration can't even get their hands around that there would be a supernatural movement of revival, that even our students that would stand up and say, you know, we're going to make a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we can't legislate that, God. Uh, only you can. And this is Yorktown, Virginia. It's a, it's a historical place where revival, where you set this nation free from the tyranny of a government, God. And now we ask that you would set us free again from the tyranny of sin uh, that the gospel would go forth in ways that can't be contained uh, so that as a nation we would be free again. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, teachers. Give them one more round of applause. Have a seat. And, uh, man, we're going to jump into guarding the gospel. And this morning I want to talk about handling our resources because uh, that's what Timothy does, what Paul instructs Timothy next. And, and I want to do uh, the next two weeks are kind of a so what. Uh, the danger of the next two weeks is you could leave thinking it's a to-do list. If I check the boxes, God is somehow happy with me. And so I just want to remind you that most of Paul's letters start with a good understanding of the gospel. It starts with your understanding understanding of who you are in Christ, that you have a new name in Jesus Christ, especially Paul's letter to the Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and Galatians, especially heavy emphasis on the gospel. And then at the end, it's the so what? If, if you've been changed by the gospel of Christ, then this is what that kind of looks like, practically speaking, as an overflow of worship to Jesus Christ. So I just want to start this morning with that caveat that, you know, I, I kind of preached on that so many months ago 
now that it's easy to forget that if you were to read this letter in one sitting, you would understand that what Paul is talking about here is the overflow of Jesus permeating our hearts, right? And we're captured by Christ and we worship Christ. And so as an act of worship to Christ here, Paul says, here's your instruction on handling your resources. Okay. Does that make sense? And so I don't want to, di- I don't want to preach the next two weeks disconnected from that understanding. Otherwise we walk out and think, man, if I do X, Y, and Z, somehow God is happy with me. God is happy with you in Christ because in Christ, by grace through faith, you've been declared righteous. Okay. And so that's the right understanding of this. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon this morning, I, my mind went to the teaching of Christ to Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to have you turn there. You probably know the story. Maybe you don't. It's the parable of the stewards where Jesus teaches that there's a land, you know, kind of in, in our own lives, handling our resources. When I say resources, I'm talking about time, talent, and money, okay? How we handle those things. And we all have a 24-hour day, and we all have kind of limited resources. And But God does expect us to steward our resources for his glory, and in, in the parable of the stewards, Matthew chapter 25, you know, um, it, Jesus says, uh, you know, that he gives five talents to one, to one um, servant. He gives two to another. He gives one to another. And the one with five, you know, while the master goes away, he stewards his resources. He doubles his talent. When the master returns, he says, you gave me five. Here's 10 in return. And some of the, the highest words of praise are for this, for this uh, servant of the Lord, Right? And we, we quote this all the time. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, and you kind of hear that language used, especially like around the funeral of a Christian man or woman, you know, we're real quick to use the phrase well done. And it comes from this idea of stewarding your resources. And some of the harshest words of the New Testament are in the same passage with the person who was given one talent to steward, and they didn't steward it well. And when the master tells you, you gave me one, I knew you were a harsh man, here's your one talent back. And and the master says, by your own words, I'm going to judge you. And and, and some of the harshest words are are in the New Testament where, where the master says, you wicked and you lazy servant. I find that interesting. By the way, um... There's, the Bible says a lot about laziness and slothfulness, and it's one of the things I've been challenging you with, that God's been challenging me with, is this idea, you know, kind of part of the American dream is like, I go to work, I come home, I plop in my lazy boy, and I, you know, I kind of do nothing till bedtime, and that's kind of the American dream, and, and it doesn't work that way. Not only does that's a false idea, not only does it doesn't work that way, but we're supposed to be exhausted by the end of the day. We're supposed to pour ourselves out as an offering to the Lord, and, and there's a lot of laziness in our culture, spiritually, you know, work, materially, physically, like we, we are to be poured out. Now, I'm not saying there's no place. The Bible's very clear. There's a place for a Sabbath and a rest, and we need that sometimes in our soul and in our body. But man, as people, we are to, we've got this little thing called life, right? And it's 70, maybe 80 years, and it impacts eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Ever and ever and ever, right? You get the point. Like, and so if I'm understanding my Bible, like we have this time, this season to make an impact for all of eternity. And some of the harshest words is for the lazy servant. And he says, in outer darkness, he, I'm going to cast you in outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we're finishing up this series and Paul instructs Timothy. And in particular, he's talking about our finances here. How do we use our finances? And the use of finances is imperative to guarding the gospel so that we can build a healthy church so that the gospel can go out in our community. So check this out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 
Paul says to Timothy, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Think about that. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So church, I want to challenge you with this. Here's a biblical model for building great wealth. If you want to be wealthy, here's how you do it, right? This is what Paul says to Timothy. Here's how you build great wealth. First of all, you pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. Meaning you're pursuing the character of your Savior, Jesus Christ, in our lives. We're growing in our sanctification, if you will. We're, we're putting off the deeds of the flesh. We're putting on righteousness. And we're becoming more like Christ, who's our Savior and our God. We're pursuing these things. And Paul says, I want this to be your focus. And then you couple this with contentment, and that's great wealth. And the idea of contentment is the idea that I have an ease of mind. Now, one of the things that I often think through, and I I challenge my own soul, by the way, is this idea of what what does contentment look like? Like, how do I balance contentment with dreams to achieve, right? And I think there's a healthy sense of which you have dreams in your heart and things that you want to pursue. And how do I balance this idea of contentment with dreams? How do I have ease of mind? Like there might be some of you in this room, like you're single, and man, there's this, there's this, you battle with loneliness in, 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 in a very natural way, because you go back to Genesis, and Adam was created first, and God says, it's not good for man to be alone. That's a, that's, a, that's a tough place to be. And so you have this natural desire to maybe be married, um, but you battle with singleness. And so how do I learn to be content when I'm, when I'm single? Or contentment with the money I make, right? You can, it's a healthy dream maybe to expand your financial resources and your financial capacity, but how do I balance that with, you know, I'm content with the money that I make, or I'm content with my job situation, or I'm content with the spouse that I married, or I'm content with my living situation, or I'm content with my body type, or I'm content with the clothes that I have. And the list goes on and on where Paul says to Timothy, man, great wealth is pursuing godliness in the context of being content, and I think, I think the idea is that, that it's okay to have goals and dreams, but we rest with where we are. We understand there's a sovereignty aspect to this, that God is sovereign and he places us where we are. And, and an unhealthy pursuit of even good things can lead to idolatry. And I think that's where this, next, where this passage goes exactly. And Paul says to Timothy, godliness coupled with contentment is, is great wealth. So let me give you a little perspective on, on contentment. Because I think Paul gives this perspective, okay? First of all, if you're going to be content, you've got to live with an eternal perspective. That's why he says you brought nothing into the world. You're not going to take anything out. Think about that. Everything that your finances makes or every, all that your wealth accrues, here's the deal. You leave it all behind. Every ounce of it. You don't take any of it with you. 
And that, that gives a healthy perspective to, hey, I do want to make more money and I want to have nice things if that's kind of part of your dream. And again, I don't, uh, I'm going to, there's no glory in poverty, okay? There's no glory in poverty. This is not a, let's all be impoverished sermon, nor is it a God blesses us and we get rich sermon, okay? It's probably somewhere in between, you know? It's neither of those, but, but you know, listen, you know, you're, you're not taking any of it with you, not a dime. And, and, and so, you know, I think contentment is this understanding that, man, my life is, is a temporary assignment. It's temporary. And by the way, that gives new kind of ideas to, to the things that we struggle with. Like if you're here this morning and, man, you're struggling with, with a physical disability, man, and you have prayed and it's been years or it's been decades or it's been a lifetime. And you think, man, why does... Why doesn't God like deliver me from this? Like I've seen other people that have been prayed over or I've seen God deliver or heal. What about my deal? What's my deal? Well, life's a temporary assignment. Guess what? You're not going to take that disability into heaven, man. We're going to be given new bodies. And so maybe in the in this now and not yet of the kingdom, maybe God has that disability. Paul says, I've been given a thorn in the flesh. Why? To keep me humble, keep me trusting Christ. And so as you trust Christ daily, day in and day out with this physical disability, you bring glory to God. And I want to remind you this morning, life is a temporary assignment. It's brief. It's a vapor. You're in a difficult marriage and you want to honor the Lord because you know God hates divorce. And so you're trying to honor the Lord in that marriage. I want to challenge you with this. Life's a temporary assignment. It's an opportunity to bring glory to God even in difficulty. Maybe you have a, a temptation in your life, man, and it at times feels overwhelming. And, if you went, and there's been times in your life where you've given into that temptation. It's led to an addiction, and you know the danger of that addiction. However, man, this temptation, every day you battle it. And you wonder, God, when am I going to be freed from this? I, I'm, what comes to mind is Romans chapter 7 where Paul's like, who is going to free me from this body of death? You know? I want to encourage you. Life's a temporary assignment. I want to challenge you. Pick up your cross daily. Follow Christ. It's not easy, but it's temporary. For 70 or 80 years, man, you get to cling to the gospel and, and honor the Lord in, a, in the daily spiritual battle. Because life's a temporary assignment. Keep an eternal perspective, man, and that will help you pursue contentment. Second thing about contentment is, I think, is a proper earthly perspective. So you have an eternal perspective, but also a prop, proper earthly perspective. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. I kind of hit on this last week, right? So if we, have a, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Content with our basic needs, that's the proper earthly perspective. Like, God, am I content with my basic needs? Now, here's the challenge, okay, American culture. The American culture is screaming at us to do the, other, to do the opposite of that. I mean, very few of us really, I mean, really have just the basic needs. And I praise God for that. Again, I don't want you to leave here guilty, but I want to I give you the proper perspective. The proper expectation of a Christian. Because American culture is telling us otherwise. We live in a, in a culture that, that confuses wants and needs, yes? It's, it's, it, you know, those of you raising kids, you know it to be true. I, my 14-year-old my son is playing on baseball team. Coach asked for his cell phone number. I about fell over. He's like, I got all the other kids' cell phone numbers. Well, you ain't getting this one. 
because he ain't got one. All right, so there's the deal. You can talk to me, his father, and I will get him there. Like, and I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying, like, like you're, I know it. I got teenagers. They're coming on. When am I getting a phone? Like, is that a need or a want? How do we balance that? And we have to have the proper perspective on that. It's one of the challenges, and I preached several weeks ago on how to help the needy, right? And, and we talked about, like, there's certain questions, there's certain stewardship questions that you should, you, we should ask. And, you know, one of the challenges of doing benevolence is when you sit down with a person that needs some help and you start going through their bills, right? And you're like, hey, Anna, what, tell me a little bit about your finances. And, well, you know, the cable bill and the phone. And you start going like, wait, I, I'm confused, Right? And I'm not throwing stones because probably most of us in the room have a cable bill, and maybe you don't, but probably many do. And you know, but it's the challenge between wants and needs. And the Apostle Paul says, "Man, if you have food and shelter, man, be content." I think one of the symbols to me in this culture that shows me that we're not content is debt. Debt is I have got to have it now, like now, now. And, and we're being led, because uh, as, as I was thinking about this, my mind went to our government, right? And I'm, I know I've been hard on the government during this series. I think the series lends itself to some of that. And, and I'm a little frustrated with the U.S. government, quite frankly, right now. I'm, I'm just a little over the top with its immorality. And this one, I'm about to give you another one. Like, I think what I'm about to share with you is immoral, okay? So I started thinking about the U.S. debt clock, I don't know if you ever had a chance to look at the U.S. debt clock. It, I'm about to overwhelm you for a minute, but I think it shows you a culture that's not content, and it's the culture that we live in. Right now, currently, the federal government has an $18 trillion federal deficit. That factors out to be about $150,000 per taxpayer and $50,000 per U.S. citizen. Church, what that means is the government has already spent $50,000 of your children's earnings before they even got a job. That does not include, ready? That does not include unfunded liabilities. If you don't know what unfunded liabilities are, that's promises that the government makes to the people. Now the people have an expectation that I'm going to get this. You ready for the unfunded liabilities? Unfunded liabilities include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, children's health care, and government pensions. You factor them into the national debt, and it balloons to $47 to $205 trillion in debt. This means that the government has spent about 800000 per taxpaying citizen and 266000 per American citizen. Your children are already a quarter million dollars in debt. They haven't hit the workforce yet. That does not include personal debt of, the, of U.S. citizens. Somebody get that for me? Take a message. <laughs> Personal debt, $13.5 trillion in mortgage debt, $1.4 million in student loan debt, and a trillion in credit card debt. You nervous yet? You should be. It's immoral. And it's birthed out of an idea that, man, food and clothing and shelter, like that should be enough. It's birthed out of this idea that, man, I've got to have more and I've got to have it now, and it's going straight to the top, and the top is now promising things there's no way it can deliver on. Because we're not content. 
We are not a culture of contentment. And we're not a people to say, God, I, you know, I've been given plenty. Teaching of Jesus should factor in your thinking, right? And I talked about this last week, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread, right? Wow, that's, that's where we're content. Our Father will provide. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. Why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. Man, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such what? What's it say? Little faith. Like, let me ask you something. How would this change your closet? Would it change your closet, really? You know, I mean, the fashion industry is trying to tell you, man, just be dissatisfied with the stuff you have on. And go to the store. And, you know, I have an incredibly thrifty wife. One of the things I've been attempting to do the last couple of years is actually buy her new clothing, right? And so that, it's birthdays and stuff like that. And Christmas is usually a failed attempt. She always pulls it out and goes, hmm, interesting. And I know I've chosen poorly, right? No, uh, But I'm always amazed at what new clothing costs because we don't buy a lot of it. You know, and I'm like, wow, you know, to outfit a family of five at this store. Man, I, whew, right? And there are ways to clothe your family cheaper. And I, I just, you know, I want to challenge us. How would these, does God, the question comes down to a question of faith. Does God care about us? Yes. Is God going to take care of making our, meeting our basic needs? Yes, of course. If we honor him with our resources. And so Paul says, and I think all this factors into, man, what does it mean to be content? What does it mean? What are our eternal expectations and what are our earthly expectations? And I think when we get those expectations properly in tension to one another, okay, then we can live with contentment. Does that make sense? And contentment is the way, godliness and contentment is the way, Paul says, you will build great wealth, eternal wealth. And he, and he goes on to say this, okay? And gives a healthy caution. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, this is a healthy caution. And Paul here is given what I call the downward spiral of idolatry. That means when something besides Christ consumes our heart. And the downward spiral looks like this. First, it's kind of a longing or it's a lure. Man, it's a temptation. That looks great. Then it moves into a lust, right? And that it factors into harmful desire. Like we begin to adjust our lives to this lure. And ultimately, we plunge into total destruction, that's what an idol will do to you. And by the way, this, this <clears throat> verse of the Bible is very often misquoted. Uh, you know, last week, I gave you one of my pet peeves, you know, one of the verses that makes me break out in hives when people misquote it. This is another one for me, actually. I've got, I've got a top three. This is number three, all right? So this verse is always misquoted, right? The Bible does, the Bible, you know, I hear this, people say it this way. The Bible says that money 
is the root of all evil. How many of y'all have heard that said, right? I was channel surfing the other, uh, the other week on my car. I was kind of driving around. I was channel surfing, and I, was, I stumbled on a Christian song, I mean, a, a country song by a guy by the name of Chris Jansen. And it struck me as odd. It struck me as funny because the name of the song is Buy Me a Boat. All right? <clears throat> Some of y'all, but you about to sing it. You like this song. How many of y'all like this song? Never mind. It doesn't matter. All right. So here we go. Ready? Here's what, his phrase, here's what he said in the middle song. They call me a redneck, white trash, and blue collar. But I could change all that if I had a couple million dollars. I keep hearing that money is what? Root of all evil. That's right in the middle of the song. And that's what I was like, oh, he misquoted the verse. <clears throat> you know, that's what made me look up the rest of the lyrics, all right? He finishes with, he'd be happy if he had a boat, which is it's true for all of us, right? So anyway, just kidding. But I want to say, Chris, no, that's not what the verse says. Money is amoral. It's neutral. It's a tool. It has its place in life. There's no glory in poverty. The passage doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What does it say? It's what? The love of money. It's the love of money. It's not, it's, not, it's not money itself. It's the love of money. And by the way, you can love money and be rich, and you can love money and be poor. It can have an idol in your heart. It doesn't matter how much you do or don't have. It's the love of money. It's when your heart is captured by it. It's a misplaced affection of money. And misplaced affection. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say that the love of money is the root of all evil. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. So it gets, it gets misquoted twice usually. Usually it's money is the root of all evil. That's a misquote of the whole verse. It's a misplaced affection of money, and, it, and then that leads to all kinds or various kinds of evil. It's not the root of all evil, Okay. Because the idea is if you have a misplaced affection of the love of money, it will, can lead to destruction. And, and by the way, in some ways, that's no, no different than misplacing any affection in your heart. If your heart is captured by anything than Christ, it can lead to destruction. I want to tell you something, and this is not a teaching necessarily this morning on tithing. But one of the benefits in my life of tithing and, it, and it's got many, but one of them is when I stroke a check for a tenth of all of my income, I'm making sure that it's grabbing a hold of my heart and saying, hey, guess what, heart? You're not going to love money. You're going to love Jesus first and foremost. And I say that the tithe is the starting point of generosity, but I think it's important because it makes sure that you sit down and you shoot the greed monster right between the eyes. It's, a, and it's not earning God's favor, but it's a way of going, God, I do, I do have faith that you clothe the wildflowers so you can take care of clothing the browns, okay? I do have faith that you're the God who provides daily bread, so you're going to make sure that the brown kids have something to eat, okay? And so it's, for me, it's making sure, hey, I'm going to shoot the greed monster right between the eyes, right out of Sean Brown's own heart. And it's been that way since I was a kid, as my parents taught me that. And now I see the value. It's a checkpoint. 
By the way, it's not, this is not workspace thing. It's just an opportunity. To, and and, and here's, the, here's how you know whether the, you're giving as a workspace thing or as a worship-based thing. For me, it's do you give with joy? If it's begrudging, it's because you think you're somehow earning God's favor, but it was with joy that, hey, I believe in Jesus, and God loved me so much, he sent his own son, and so I can believe the promises of God. He's going to take care of clothing me and feed me and all that other stuff. It's just an opportunity, but a misplaced, a misplaced passion or a misplaced focus on, on money, man, will lead to difficulties in life, and that's what Paul says. He says, man, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring struggles. It's going to be difficult in your life which is no different than any other idolatrous affection. Finally, Paul transitions. So just so you know, the, uh, Paul here segues, and he, he does some teaching to Timothy, and then he comes back to f- how we handle our financial resources. So next week, I'm going to dive into the verses I'm about to skip, okay? And then he finishes with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Check this out. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Church, I want to encourage you with this. Be rich in what matters most. Be rich in what matters most. Place your hope in the eternal. I love this passage because we don't usually think this way. Paul says, money is so unreliable. How many of us get payday and go, I can't trust this? Like, no, we're like, finally, you know, something like can rest in. It's, it's like the opposite. It's like, again, if you're a follower of Christ, it's you, you are a little bit of opposite world in your journey of faith, right? You know, sometimes the thing the Scripture teaches is the opposite of what the rest of the world is teaching. And, and Paul says it's unreliable, you know? And I remember, man, I remember in 2008, like, like sitting at night, you know, CNBC, if you're a CNBC watcher, I kind of am, you know, CNBC is like, you know, has this, you know, they were doing specials every night as, as trillions of dollars of wealth was being wiped out in a day, you know, in a day. And this verse came to mind, like, man, money is very unreliable. I don't know. You don't know. But I know my God. I know what he promises no matter what, right? He's trustworthy. And, and so Paul says, you know, we use, it's just like quite the opposite. I want to tell you something. I, I'm going I'm to wrap this up. One more quick point. I'll wrap this up. A couple more quick points here. But 15 years I've been pastoring Coastal Community Church, almost. And um, one of the coolest worship services I ever saw it still gives me chills to think about it, was the, the final service of the Beyond campaign. Just last May, when we did our pledge offering for the new building, the new location, and, and um, I watched you guys, the church body come forward, man, and I watched, parent, I watched families praying over their offering before they gave it, and I thought, like, this is a group of people that believe this stuff. And here's the deal, like some of y'all, like I'm, I'm sure if you told your parents or your family, you know, like, so like they were probably like, are you nuts giving your money away? Have you lost your mind? Listen, my boy was given so much money, I almost told him to stop. And I'm the preacher, like, you don't make that much. Are you kidding? He's just giving every week to the building fund, you know? And, and it's like, wow, like I'm blown away by the people of God who say, I believe that God will meet my needs, right? And this money is this, I'm stewarding it and I'm a conduit for it. And that service blew me away as you guys raised a million dollars. 
300 on the spot and a million over the course of 18 months blew me away. And I was like, wow, I'm just, I'm so humbled to be a part of church. It says, I take this stuff seriously. And Paul says this, and he finishes with this in verse 18. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. The purpose of money is to help others make a positive impact, be rich in good works. And then Paul finishes with this, man, we use our money on the Lord like that. It is an unshakable investment. It's an unshakable investment, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. By doing this, they'll be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. I want you to hear that again. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience what? True life. When was the last time you thought, you thought of giving your money away as an opportunity to really experience true life? And Paul says, man, Timothy, when, pe- when people who are wealthy, and by the way, I know you're probably a lot of you sitting here like, I'm not rich, you know. Uh, globally speaking, you're probably in the top 5%, okay? Um, so, you know, sure, surely this applies to us here in America. And so those who are generous experience true life in this life, and they store up an eternal future. I am. Um, was talking this past week or a week about a week ago to um, Alistair Geddes, and I'll be bringing him in this fall. A lot of y'all know him. I always introduce him as one of the guys. Actually, this, uh, this year, this fall, just an FYI, I have the opportunity to bring two men in that I consider my pastors. One, I've never been able to get here, and I finally get to get him. His name's Pastor Tony Chester, and he's going to be here in, a, in about a month. Uh, he's doing the men's retreat for us, and, um, and then Alistair Geddes. And so I'm really, really excited about that. But Alistair, I was talking to him, and, you know, he was kind of, checking in, seeing how things were going. And, and uh, one of the things he said to me, he's like, Sean, I, I cannot believe how generous your church is with missions. He's like, you build a children's home and that you, know, you hadn't budgeted for in the middle of this project, and you, you, know, you sent 60-some people on missions trips, you know, and, you, and you, um, you know, he's, you know, he, he, Alistair has a ministry, a missions project that we help, we support, and he's like, like, I just can't believe how generous and open-handed Coastal Community Church is in the middle of a building project. I don't know what my final point is in that. It's just to say, way to go, Coastal Community Church, right? Like, like I look at you all and I'm like, man, God, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that says it is not an either or. If God calls us to do it, we're going to see it through. We're going to be generous. We're going to be open-handed. And we are going to be missional at the same time. And that's been a big belief of mine. It's not about this or that. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And I want to applaud you, Coastal Community Church, for being so generous and open-handed. Because I believe that you're a people that take this book seriously. You're generous with your resources, and you're storing up treasures on a good foundation. And I am so proud to be your pastor. And I'm so thankful for a people that are so open-handed with the things of the Lord. Let's close with prayer. Let's ask God to use his resources to spread the fame of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> it's Labor Day weekend. It's the weekend that we take an extra day off and we take a moment and we pause and we're, we give thanks for you blessing our labor. There's a lot of cultures where people labor just as hard and maybe the resources don't come in. And so we recognize, God, that you're the giver of all good things. You're the giver of resources. 
And so Labor Day weekend, we, we pause and we give thanks for your blessing upon our employment. And we recognize that all good things come from you. And then as fellow followers of Jesus Christ, God, we, we pause and we say thank you. And I pray that we would continue to be a generous people, believing, man, that gives true life and it stores up an eternal foundation. And I want to thank you for the members and the attenders of Coastal that are so generous with their donations. And God, I pray that you would pour out your blessing upon them. It may be material, it may be spiritual, I don't know, God, but I pray that you will meet their needs. God, I pray for myself, Lord, the world is calling for me to have eyes that look at, look at resources differently. Help us to see resources different than the rest of the world. Help our expectations to be biblical expectations with, a, with an eternal mind, and here's what we need here on earth. And God, I pray for the finances of Coastal Community Church. I pray, God, your blessing upon them. We would steward them well for the fame of Jesus Christ to go out in this community, this nation, and all around the world. And we do that with the hope of the day that our faith will be sight and we see the return of our King, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, church, this is our offering time. And if you're a guest with us here this morning, I do want you to know we're not after your money. Okay, this is one of the ways that we worship the Lord. So if you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to. If you're here this morning and you have a, a burden, you'd like to talk to someone and pray with someone, we have our prayer team. They sit here in the front row and they're, they have purple shirts on. That's how you know who they are. And they're here during the offering time. They're here during the closing song. They're here after the service. So if you want to talk to someone, pray with someone. I encourage you to make use of the prayer ministry. So with that, ushers, would you come forward? And uh, church, we're going to go out singing praises to our King. Pastor Joy. It's a marvelous night out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the Take this life, take your 